0: Thank you, Brother Dale. We are on our W night where we think about worship. And so we're going to take some time to do that. And I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to the 17th chapter of Luke. And we'll go down to uh, verse 11. And I got handed from my publisher tonight my advanced copy of my book I mentioned this morning. I'm just waiting to get a forward by 10 great men that know me and uh, really get it going. So advanced copies are on sale. I think it's only $35 a piece, so uh, if you want that. And uh, still has a ways to go, but it's all I know (laughs) about the truth, isn't it? Okay, Luke 17. I think when I uh, think about worship... That there's a lot of rituals going on in the world that go under the guise of worship. But uh, there are a couple of things wrong and a couple of things where I think we miss it. And uh, they can happen anywhere. It can happen to you. It can happen personally. I think it can happen corporately. And I think that it does a lot. I think sometimes we uh, miss two things in worship. We go through a lot of things and we go, oh, that was great. Oh, I enjoyed that. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, that blessed me. And yet these two things are what keep us from really worshiping no matter how we feel. And number one is we don't always focus on the glory of God. In fact, uh, so many times when you uh, hear about church worship and hear people talk about it, And watch on social media, it's really man-centered. And it's about what I get and what I do and how it affects me in my everyday life. Now, don't get me wrong. I think worship should affect you in your everyday life. But I think we fall short of the glory of God because we make it all about us. And the second thing is that we fail to focus upon Jesus and His glory. And we go through a lot of rituals, and we may pray a lot of prayers, sing a lot of songs, and we may even have some things that we do that have the appearance of focusing on Jesus. But do they really? And without that, I don't think we get even close to worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well that the Father desires or is seeking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so the idea there is that the Spirit has to be the author of it, and it also has to be based upon truth, which is the Word of God. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth in John 17, 17. And so many times we uh, worship experience, we worship feelings, we worship relationships, we worship uh, sometimes kind of making the Bible into a magic formula that's going to make us A lot of money or a lot of friends or a lot of popularity and uh, we wonder why it falls flat and this is why probably our churches are bigger than they've ever been in the United States and yet our culture is more rotten perhaps than it has ever been something isn't jiving something isn't working together and uh, I think we can see a little bit of this in Luke chapter 17 a very old story about some lepers. Am I the only one that when I was a little kid and the preacher or a Sunday school teacher would talk about lepers, I thought they were saying leopards and thought it was about the animal? And I'm picturing these leopards coming up to Jesus. And so, uh, that, of course, that's not the way it is. And so let's read this together, beginning in verse 11. Luke chapter 17. Very, very familiar story. I doubt I'm going to teach you anything tonight. This is more of a devotional type thing to stir up something in you, to remind you of some things and cause you to think about something that you already know. Uh, I learned when I was doing music sometimes it was hard to work with a choir on a familiar song uh, more so than it was a new song because with the familiar song, There's something in the back of our brain that says, oh, I know this, this will be easy. And sometimes it was the I know this, this will be easy songs that were the hardest for us to get the rhythms and the uh, lyrics and all of that down the way we wanted them. And I think in the Bible it's the same way. The thing that keeps us from knowing the Bible is we assume we already know the Bible. And so tonight, please don't assume that you already know this story, even though you've heard it. So many hundreds if not thousands of times. So uh, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And may the Holy Spirit enable us to understand and to grasp and to apply truth to something that is familiar. And uh, may it bless your heart and bless your life. So let's begin reading in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, that's on the way to die, to be betrayed, to uh, suffer, all of that. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, there he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I don't blame them. I would do that too. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. That's unusual, isn't it? And when uh, then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise or glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, made you whole. And the idea there is healed, uh, not just physically, but the healing of the soul. It's a phrase that is used in other places to describe someone when they get saved. I mean, after all, this leper, according to this story, had already been cleansed of his leprosy, but now he needed something differently. There is, uh, he needed something different. There's a difference between a physical work that is a miracle and the eternal soulish work where God does something in your soul and saves your soul. Now, When we look at this and just kind of uh, go back to verse 11 and just kind of uh, peruse through this, it's on the way to Jerusalem. And so you've got to know that Jesus has other things on his mind than to stop and pay attention to some lepers. Lepers were fairly common in that time and uh, people were terrified of them. And they were segregated from society and forbidden to intermingle or to have any social outlet with anybody. They couldn't go to church or the synagogue. They couldn't be with their families. And whenever they were walking along, they had to uh, cry out, unclean, unclean. And people would move to the other side of the street or something like that to let them pass by. Can you imagine living like that? I think the closest we've ever Known anything like that was uh, during the corona uh, time when we were all, uh, and then they weren't uh, segregating the sick, they were segregating the healthy, weren't they? Stay in your home, wash your hands, wear a mask, don't interact with people, stay out of crowds, uh, all of that type of thing that went on. And uh, mental health in America declined significantly, especially among the young during that uh, time when we were quarantined. And uh, you can imagine what it must be like if you were a leper, and let's say you had been a a family man, let's say that you had had a business, you were even maybe prosperous. But then when that leprosy showed up, you were a pariah, you were an outcast. And uh, I wonder how many times you just longed to have some communication with people, to have some fellowship with people, to sit down and eat a meal with them, to worship together with them, to go to a family reunion or something like that. And, of course, they couldn't do that. And even if they tried, everybody would run from them because they were terrified of catching this disease. And leprosy in the Bible, the type, it was a little different than what modern-day people call leprosy. I think it was uh, Hansen's disease, is what we would call it now. And it was the uh, thing that would happen to you where you would lose all of the feeling in your uh, different parts of your body. And uh, because of that, you know, we think about a pain free life, but that wouldn't always be good because there are sometimes pain alerts you that something is wrong. And they would lose fingers and toes, things like that, and not even feel it, not even realize anything was wrong or sore or infected or. Anything like that at all. And so lepers were kind of grotesque looking because they would literally at times rub their noses raw and a skin would flake off and disappear. And um, the people would look at them and they had these running sores and things like that. And it was pretty grotesque. And you can imagine how little children would respond to that and how other people would respond to people being so incredibly different. These are the people that Jesus runs into while he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, to be arrested, to be beaten, to be crucified. And now these people come up and... It tells you a little bit about the Lord because if I'm walking through there and this happens to me, I'm probably annoyed. I'm probably a little bugged. I don't have time for all of you and leave me alone and let me get on with what I need to do. But not our Lord. What a kind, compassionate Savior he was and is. And it reminds us that all of the little things in life that we kind of go, Oh Lord, this is such a little thing to bring to you. Well, we need to remember everything we bring to him as a little thing because he is an all-powerful, omnipotent God. And uh, he is the one who says that we are to cast our cares upon him and no matter how significant or insignificant they may seem to us. This is our God that we are talking about. So take it all to the Lord and uh, remember the old hymn that says, oh what, grief, uh, oh, what pain we often forfeit, oh, what grief. We uh, let's see. Let me think of it. Got to get the lyrics right. Um, what a friend we have in Jesus! All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to to God in prayer, right? And uh, oh, what um, pain is that right? Or what peace we often forfeit. That's it. Now I'm on it. And oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that everything is what trips us up. Because the little things, we are under the illusion that we can handle them. That they're no big deal, I've got this, I can take care of this. And those little things begin to stack up and they begin to cause us a lot of problems and they trip us up and sometimes cause us to stumble other people. And all of this comes down to the fact that we are not the worshipers that we think we are. We're not the worshipers that we ought to be. And so uh, we've got to get this right and so Jesus is more than willing to hear us more than willing to intervene in our lives if we will take those things unto him and uh, notice here that he's passing between two areas Samaria and Galilee I think most of us know that Samaria was not a place that Jews wanted to go they didn't like those people those people they felt had been sellouts uh, hundreds of years earlier during the uh, exile, uh, uh, the Babylonian exile... and they didn't like them, didn't want anything to do with them... and the Samaritans pretty well felt the same way about the Jews. But you'll notice here that the Jewish territory was not that much better than Samaria. It said it was between Samaria, the complete outcast, and Galilee, the semi-outcast. If you lived in Israel, you didn't necessarily want to live in Galilee or to be from Galilee it was considered the lower class uneducated, unimportant part of Israel and uh, yet that's where the Lord came from from Nazareth of Galilee and you remember that uh, I believe it was Nathaniel when he was confronted with Christ he said can anything good come out of Nazareth that was a common feeling Nazareth was a place that was considered just barely Jewish, it was much more secularized and much more Uh, shall we say gentilized than the rest of the nation even Galilee itself and so uh, they really were not considered to be all that orthodox or all that uh, Jewish I guess you would say they were kind of compromised and so uh, this is where Jesus came from and he's in this place where it's between Galilee and Samaria neither one of those are good place both of those people are Would feel like outcasts to some degree. The Galileans saying we're outcasts. And we don't deserve to be outcasts. And the Samaritans would be the outcasts that said. We don't care. We don't want to be a part of them anyway. And this is where Jesus is. And the people that he is interacting with. And to be a leper that is a Galilean. Or a leper that is a Samaritan. Is just like the worst of all of it. You're the outcast of the outcast. there's nobody that wants you there's no place where you actually fit in and according to this story it's the only place where some jewish lepers would uh, accept a samaritan leper and that's in the context of being a leper right and so uh, the fact that jesus tells him go show yourself to the priest and let them declare you clean, as it says in the Old Testament law, gives us the idea that most of them were Jewish and Jesus was speaking to them. I don't know what the Samaritan was going to do because they certainly wouldn't let him into the temple and no priest would want to have anything to do with a Samaritan. Clean or unclean, you're, you're out of here. And so uh, that kind of adds to the intrigue of the story here that we uh, find. They stood at a distance because they weren't allowed to be close to anybody else. And it, the distance was such that they were crying out with a loud voice. So it wasn't like they were, uh, what do we do during the uh, uh, COVID thing, six feet? You know, they said we had to be apart wearing our mask. Well, it didn't matter with a leper. They had to be far enough away where they could not infect you. And you never wanted to be downwind from a leper. And... Whenever they spoke, they were far enough away that it says that they uh, cried out, uh, they lifted up their voices, they cried out with a loud voice when they're speaking to Jesus. That's how far off that they were and that they had to be. Now, notice they get some things right Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That certainly was right. They had the right title, Jesus. He certainly is Master, the Sovereign Lord. And the only hope that they had from him is if he would look upon them with pity. If he would look upon them with mercy. Because they couldn't do anything for themselves. And there was no reason for him to pay any attention to them at all. You see where we're going with all of this? They were as good as dead as far as life and anything else Was concerned. And most people would consider the fact that having leprosy marked you as the worst kind of sinner because respectable sinners don't have leprosy, but the sinners of disrepute, the sinners that are really, really bad, well, they get things like leprosy. And so everybody felt a little bit justified. In staying away from them. And the fact that there were lepers around. Made you feel better if you were a Galilean. That was just barely a Jew. And not a very good Jew at that. But at least I'm not one of those. And uh, that went all the way up in Jewish society. Because that ought to remind you of the Pharisee. And the publican in the temple. And the Pharisee's prayer starts off. I thank you Lord that I'm not as other men are. As this tax collector. Because Well, I guess being a tax collector was a little bit better than being a leper, but not much. And the Pharisee felt better about it because he could compare himself with somebody else. Well, that's the way the average person, especially in a place like Galilee, could feel better about their religion and about what they did because at least I'm not a leper. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this leper. And so the lepers are crying out as complete and total outcasts, feeling abandoned by God, feeling abandoned by society, cast out of the synagogues. uh, They have absolutely no ability to interact with anyone on this. And so they take a chance... And they take a gamble, I guess, in their minds. Let's try this. We've heard these things about Jesus. He heals people. And let's say these things. Was he really their master and Lord? Did they really trust him? I don't think so. But, you know, in everyone's mind, we got to get the title right. Let's butter him up just a little bit. Jesus, master, have mercy or pay attention to us. They didn't get much mercy. They didn't get anybody paying attention to them. They had people shunning them, running from them, little kids pointing at them, people laughing at them, and uh, all of these kind of things that would go on. And the Bible says when Jesus saw them, then he actually spoke to them, he said to them what to do. Now, it may have seemed preposterous... if we could just go to the priest and show ourselves and be declared clean... and able to come back into society, we would have done that a whole long time ago. But uh, can you imagine them saying, what is he talking about? Can he not see the sores that we bear? Does he not know our situation? And Jesus says, uh, go ahead, before I do anything for you... it wasn't a zap and everything's gone like in some situations... Just go. Start heading to the priest. And it took uh, some faith and certainly some obedience as they began to go and walk to the priest. This is going to be a setup for a highly embarrassing moment if they go and they say, we're here to show ourselves to the priest and whoever the person is that takes care of the priest's business the priest's secretary is going to look at them and say you're unclean get out of here and get and they're going to get away from you as fast as they can so they're taking a real chance here and it says that as they went they were cleansed it was a thing that took place fairly quickly but i sort of picture it like with every step a little bit of it disappeared. Every step, a little bit of it disappeared. And there came a certain point before they got to the priest where they look and they go, It's gone! Can you believe it? It's gone! Now, what are you going to do at that moment? And that's what tells us everything we need to know. There were ten of them, and nine of them keep going. And what that tells us is, that they were more interested in getting back into their normal life. Heal us so that we can get back to normal. Heal us so that we can have a better life. Heal us so that we can make a living. Heal us so that we can be with our family. Heal us so that we can go to the synagogue and the Passovers and the other feasts that are there. Heal us so that we can hold our children and our grandchildren again. Heal us so that we can be there to bury our fathers and our mothers and our aunts and our uncles. All of that very important in Jewish life. They weren't saying, heal us so that we can worship. Heal us so that we can give thanks. Heal us so that we can relate to you. Heal us so that we can know you. They weren't doing that at all. It was all a matter about them having, well, here we go, your best life now. That's what their worship really boiled down to. Well, I have something to that, Jesus, because I was a leper and an outcast, but look at me now, everything's clean and I'm back in circulation, and that's about as far as it went. And I think that is one of the problems with modern day worship. We come to church saying, what am I going to get out of this? You ever done that? I know I have. Well, I didn't enjoy that because I didn't get anything out of it. And that is completely the wrong approach on all of this. And yet that's what the nine did. And the one who happened to be a Samaritan, the outcast of outcasts, a Samaritan leper, he's the one that comes back and comes right up to Jesus, and he's glorifying him with a loud voice. And this time he doesn't really have to speak loud, does he? As he is healed, he's able to come back into society and he doesn't have to be afraid anymore. Before, he was yelling loud because he was far off. Now he's yelling loudly to glorify God and to praise him because he's excited and he's happy and he's thankful and he's grateful for what the Lord has done. And the Lord calls special attention to this outcast Samaritan former leper. And he says, "Uh, weren't there nine that we healed? How, can, how is it that only one has come back to uh, give thanks to us? Where are the other nine? And the other nine didn't need Jesus anymore. They were done. And that's the sad thing that I find a lot of people today if they have a tragedy, if they have a problem, if they have a need, all of a sudden Jesus becomes very important to them. But whenever the pressure is off and the need seems to be gone, not so much. You know anybody like that? Have you ever played that game with the Lord? There was um, a time when uh, my father-in-law had been uh, very sick and he was well enough now to go to uh, do a revival. And when he was picked up, at the airport, somebody said, well, I understand you've been uh, pretty sick. And he said, yes, I have been. He goes, what have you learned through this experience? And my father-in-law, uh, those of you who know him can picture him doing this. He looked at the guy and he says, nothing. And the guy goes, nothing? What do you mean? I mean, didn't you have more time in the Word or prayer? And Papa Sam said, if I have to have more time in the Word and prayer when I'm sick, all that does is prove that it was inadequate to begin with. Do you get it? If I have to increase it now when times are bad, something was wrong with it before. That was his point. And that's what the nine did. They needed Jesus when they were sick. Now that they're well... Not so much. A lot of people live their lives like that. They will cry out to Jesus at the funeral. They will cry out to Jesus at the hospital. They will cry out to Jesus when they lose their job. They'll cry out to Jesus when they're afraid they're going to get a bad diagnosis... And then when it goes away, they say, oh, I guess it was no big deal anyway. And I wonder if these nine, when they walked, they said, maybe we didn't really have leprosy. Maybe we just thought we did. Maybe it was something else. I mean, after all, it's gone now. But they didn't care enough to run back to Jesus because, and here's the point, they didn't feel like they needed him anymore. They needed him for the leprosy, but not for normal everyday life. Okay, we just described a lot of people that sit in churches Sunday after Sunday and that live in America, people that you may live next door to, people that may be in your family. Oh, I believe and I need Jesus and I do pray, but they don't really have any intense desire to be around Him or to glorify Him or do anything like that until the problems arise and until the trouble comes. And then... They expect Jesus to be at their beck and call like a bellhop at a motel or something like that. What a terrible thing. And then we wonder, what's wrong with our relationship with the Lord? And that tells us an awful lot about ourselves. So uh, I want to make just a few little points on this. And uh, maybe it's something that can help us because we don't want to be superficial in our worship. And we want to be thankful. And by the way. The concept of being thankful. Is mentioned in the Bible. Over 100 times. You think God might have a point. In that repetition. That that's something as we said this morning. Is supposed to be the special duty. Of a believer. In addition to everything else we do. We ought to have it seasoned. With thankfulness. That ought to be obvious in our life. And it's something that we all can and should work on. So I challenge you to do that and think about this as we frame this in terms of people that are grateful. And here it is. Number one, the grateful see themselves as unworthy and unlikely. And that's what you find here. Galilee or Samaria, either one, neither one of them were very good and neither one of them would poise you to really be one of the spiritual elites in Israel. In fact, as a Samaritan, you didn't even worship in the right place. Remember that interchange in uh, John between Jesus and the woman at the well who was a Samaritan? She was living an immoral life. And then she wants to get into a discussion about where we should worship. You Jews say in Jerusalem, and we say that we do it here on the mountain. Who's right? And when the Messiah comes, he'll straighten all this out. And Jesus said, if you only knew, lady, if you only knew who you were talking to. And uh, that's kind of the way uh, we are today. We know just enough to be dangerous and just enough to miss what really is going on. It's like every time we get together in church, sometimes I'm afraid we're giving spiritual flu shots Just enough to keep us from getting the real thing. And that was a Samaritan woman's situation. She didn't know who Jesus was. She couldn't tell that she was sitting right there in the presence of the Creator and the one who would die for sinners. And she didn't really get it. But she knew enough to kind of start an argument or something like that. A lot of people are like that. Because they don't see themselves as unlikely... And that's the thing. Whenever you are ungrateful about something, you think you're ungrateful because you think you deserve better. And so if you're ungrateful for your salvation, it's because you think you had something to do with it. You think that you contributed to it. You think that you were a worthy candidate for salvation. And the Bible would say, no, you weren't. You were dead and rotten in your trespasses and sins. And only God could give you life. And you were completely unworthy of His attention at all, much like these Galileans and these Samaritans who happened to be lepers. They see themselves as unlikely. And if you see yourself like that, it'll change the way you sing. It'll change the way you witness. It'll change the way you read your Bible. It'll change the way you gather together because it's not a gathering together of the worthy. It's a gathering together of the unlikely and the unworthy, which is what we see here. Now, the second thing that we uh, find as we look at all of this is uh, here we come with these people and uh, the Lord is going to uh, come through town. Okay, We don't know that he has anything else on his agenda. We don't know that the Lord had any meeting places there or any teaching times or anything like that. We don't even know that it was publicized. It might have been just one of those obscure times when, from a human standpoint, he just randomly happened to be in that time. Which reminds us that the grateful and the ungrateful, well, they may pray the same prayers. Now look at the ten lepers that were there. Nine of them were ungrateful. One of them was a true convert. And yet they're saying the same things. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes between those who are truly worshiping and those who are not. Because when we put the lyrics on the screen for you, it's not like we're all making them up from our heart and they're all coming from the Holy Spirit and we all just happen to sing the same thing. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were just to say, okay, Brother Dale gets up here, let's all stand and sing and ask the Lord to give you a song and let's start now. Can you imagine what it would be like? It'd be cacophony. And yet, in this situation, all of them are saying the same thing. I mean, it's possible for a believer and an unbeliever to stand side by side and sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, because it happens all the time. And, uh, man, it, it just kills me sometimes... When you uh, would watch a TV show back in the day where these people are singing songs about getting drunk and songs about adultery and songs about lust and songs about greed and then all of a sudden they stop and they say, now we're going to have a sacred number and they start singing Amazing Grace or something like that. Lost people can sing it just like you do and you can't always tell the difference. Between them, they may read out of the same Bible and they may recite the same scriptures. If you've ever been a part of a liturgical church where they say everything together, there may be a part where the minister. Uh, or the chaplain in the, the case that I'm used to, would be saying, "And Father, we ask you to bless our services today and all of the things that we say. And then he would say, and we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. And then everybody would start going, Our Father. Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And a lot of them were lost as a goose. They had no idea, but they sounded exactly the same as the saved troops that were in the chapel or in the church. And they would take the same communion and they would sing the same hymns and all of those kind of things would go on. You can't always tell the difference. And it reminds me that Jesus told a parable about a field of wheat. And, at that, and uh, during the evening, the enemy came and sowed the tares in them. And uh, Jesus said, you're going to have wheat and you're going to have tares in these fields. And you can't really tell the difference. In fact, he told them, don't go in there trying to pluck the tares out because you'll pull up the good wheat, the good crop, while you're doing that. And that's one of the problems that we have so many times. Well, Vance Havner put it this way. He always had a way with words he says, the problem today is the, ch- the world is so churchy and the church is so worldly, you can't tell the difference. And we live the same way. We had the same vocabulary. We had the same likes, the same dislikes. And many times we are saying even the good things we say, we're just saying them all together like we're reading off of a script. And that's kind of what was happening here. And so we assume that people are saved. We assume they're good and that they're right. Because they prayed a prayer or because they said a verse or because of something like that that happened. Well, notice here that all of these people cried for the same thing. Jesus, right name, master, the right title, his authority and all of that. Have mercy on us, which is exactly what they needed. But only one of them got saved out of this situation. Remember that. Not all the people who quote-unquote worship are actually saved and that's not really the proof of your salvation is it number three the grateful do not settle for rituals what do i mean by that well when they find that they're healed one guy has to turn around and run back to jesus glorifying him with a loud voice and falling at his feet the other nine were like cool let's go see the priest they didn't really, as I said before, need Jesus, and neither did they care. The ritual was, as good, was good enough for them. Just go see the priest, get integrated back in society, back with your family, back with uh, all of that, back to work, back to making money, and everything will be cool. And Lord, if you could help me to have better relationships with my family, then I'll worship you. Well, I doubt it, because after things normalize, you tend to forget Oh, Lord, get me through this rough patch, and I promise you, you can have my life. I doubt it. Those things usually don't work any longer than it did here for these people. These people were content to leave Jesus and to go through the ritual, and that was enough. That'll get us back where we want to be, but not for the guy that really got saved. He couldn't stand the idea of just going through a ritual And having something confirmed, he wanted to be with Jesus. And I would ask you, where is your heart? Simply to go to church? Simply to be with friends? Simply to have a better life? Simply to have a better marriage? Simply to have better relationships with your children? Or do you long for and hunger for Jesus? I had somebody that I was counseling one time and said, why are you here? And they said, my wife can't stand me. I want to get back together with her and I want to do whatever I need to do to get her back. And my response to him was, I admire you for doing that, but that is entirely the wrong goal. The right goal is this. You need to be a godly man regardless of whether she comes back or not. You need to know the Lord. You need to serve the Lord. And you need to have a right relationship with the Lord. And unfortunately, not interested. That guy only came to about two sessions. And he really didn't want to do anything with God unless God would do something for him. And that is not Worship in any way, shape, or form. It's not even admirable. That is using God, manipulating God, trying to trick God for your own selfish situation, right? Does that make sense? And that's what so many people do. Let's move on now because we're just about done. And uh, we can find here that uh, some people... Uh, might have been enthralled with Jesus just because look what he did to those lepers. Isn't that cool? But they didn't run to Jesus and they didn't give him glory or praise. They just liked the show. And there are a lot of people that go to church for the show. They go for the performance. They go for what they feel. They go to have their emotions stirred. They go because it helps them in everyday life, as they say. And I do, again, I'm not opposed to worship helping you in everyday life, except that that's not really the goal and so uh, we think here about what is happening and we see number four that the grateful are enthralled with Christ and his glory Christ and his glory then one of them when he saw that he was healed had the same experience the other ones did exactly the same he starts heading that direction and he is healed but he can't keep going that direction he has to break off from the herd he has to break away from the crowd he's not just going to go and have a priest do some kind of a hocus pocus pronounce you as being good and get back in society he has to run back to the one who actually has the power to heal him the god who created him was standing there the god who healed him was standing there the god who would be the sacrifice for his sin was standing there, and you just can't be the same when you're in the presence of Jesus. You just can't be the same when you meet Him. And these people that say, well, I know Jesus, but their lives don't change. I'm not saying that the change in their lives saves them, but I am saying this. If you were out here on 104th Street, crossing the street and you got hit by a Mack truck, and then you walk in here, and you look good, you smell good, not a hair out of place, your clothes are clean, and your clothes are pressed, and you try to tell me that a Mack truck ran into you, I'm going to call you a liar. Because you cannot have an encounter with a Mack truck and be the same. Am I right about that? Something is going to change, and it probably won't be the truck. It'll be you. And in the same way, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ something changes in your life. You become a new creature in Christ and the change doesn't save you but the change is the evidence that you have had had an encounter with the all-powerful God and the living Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you turn from a pagan into a worshiper at the moment of salvation. Because people that are lost, they don't care how religious they are, how moral they are, how clean they are, how much they know or anything like that. They cannot worship until they come to know Christ. This man comes to Christ and he cries and glorifies God with a loud voice, falls on his face at the feet of Jesus in humility, and he's giving him Thanks, And it says, now he was a Samaritan. Nobody would have guessed the Samaritan would have ever done anything like that at all. He was the most unlikely. The Galileans may have been just a little bit up higher, but they were more likely than the Samaritan. And yet it's the Samaritan that actually turned into a worshiper. You and I were spiritual lepers. You and I were spiritual Samaritans. There was nothing to commend us to God. There was nothing about us that should get the attention of God. And yet God, in His mercy, has saved us and redeemed us, made us His own. He indwells us by His Spirit. He's placed us in the body of Christ. He's prepared a dwelling place for us in heaven and how can we keep from praising his name as we say as saying this morning i mean hallelujah Praise His name that He has done this. We're the Samaritan. We should be praising Him with a loud voice. We should be centered on Him. We should leave all of the religious crowd behind because those other nine, it wasn't that they were abandoning religion. They were just abandoning Christ. They were still going to go to the temple. They were still going to see the priest. They were still going to go through all of the ritual and yet they were lost. They were distant from Christ. They didn't love Him and as far as I know, they were headed for hell and a lot of people fit that same description here today and if you're not one of those you should be praising him with a loud voice because it was all of him and nothing of you and you deserved absolutely none of it it's the beauty of his glorious grace that has made this all happen and so jesus said where are the ten i mean uh, didn't we uh, where are the nine out of this ten Was no one found to return and give praise or glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. And I want to close by saying this. Why is thankfulness so important? Well, if you will think about it, as we said this morning, thankfulness shows humility. It is the idea, I didn't get here by myself, and I didn't do this for myself. Thankfulness is humility, and God wants us to be humble and to be broken before Him. That's how we worship Him, in spirit and in truth and in humility and in thankfulness. And the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And one of the things about being filled with the Spirit, it never says anything about speaking in tongues or anything like that. It does say things like admonishing one another in Psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, when you're filled with the Spirit, you want to sing. God likes it when His people sing to Him. And it also says in another place, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay, how do I get my heart to sing? And I want to leave you with this, because I believe that you would find this to be helpful and also to be accurate. I think it's when we truly are thankful... Thankfulness makes our hearts sing. You have the joy of the Lord, and you have a song in your heart unto Him. It's when the thankfulness and the gratefulness is gone, you can go through a lot of rituals, you can have a lot of different experiences, but you're never satisfied, and your heart never truly sings, because one of the first things the Spirit of God is going to do is to point out to you how blessed you are by the grace of God that he has died for your sins, redeemed you, made you clean, given you the righteousness of Christ, and now the Spirit of God is crying out in your heart, Abba, Father, according to Paul, right? And why do we do that? Because we are thankful to Him. We're grateful to Him. He has birthed us. He has given us new life. And we belong to Him. And He is our Father. He is our Shepherd. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And we are most blessed. And we certainly should be thankful for that, if nothing else. Not to mention everything else He does for it. Right? That's the way it ought to be. And so, two things that are missing in modern-day worship, and that is the glory of God being God-centered, and number two, the aspect of thankfulness. He owes us nothing, and yet He gives us everything. What a mighty, wonderful, gracious, good God that we serve. You want to say thanks to Him right now as we close? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, how can we keep ...from saying thank you. And we don't want to be like the nine. We don't want to just go through the motions... ...and participate in the rituals... ...and every once in a while when there's a tragedy... ...we cry out to you loudly and fervently... ...and uh, in a way that uh, would be even right... ...and in the way that even a saved person would. We don't want to be that fake. We don't want to be that one with the mask. We don't want to be that one... ...where everything is just going through the motions... Oh, Father, we pray that you would give us thankful and grateful hearts that we might praise you in every situation. For the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we think about the psalmist that said, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And help us to realize whenever we are not thankful, we're giving the impression that God is not everything He claims to be, and He is not really good. And that's just not true. Forgive us when we're a bad advertisement for you and your grace and your mercy. Fill us with joy and let our hearts sing because we are thankful people. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So let that sink into your heart tonight and help you in maybe your devotional life even as you think about things and help you in the day-to-day struggles that you have in life because we all wrestle with Eve's problem. And it's not so much what God has given us. It's what he doesn't let us have. That gets our attention. And that's where we fall off of the wagon of thankfulness and gratefulness. Eve was not grateful for the thousands of trees she could eat from. It all came down to that one that God wouldn't let her have. And you and I are the same way. The spirit of Eve still lives within us. May that be crucified and may it die and may we have our eyes open to all our God has done for us and His abundant love. And so with that, may the Lord bless you. And may he bless you with a spirit of gratefulness and thanksgiving as you go to work, as you go to school, as you interact with your spouse, as you interact with your children, as you drive your car, as you turn on your air conditioning or your heat, whichever the case may be in this Oklahoma weather, you never know. And may even in our worship together as a church, may we think more about the blessing that we have to worship, the freedom that we have to worship. And what God does in the unseen way underneath the surface that we can't even see. And we do like, and I'm guilty as anyone, I like what I can see. I like when people respond. I like when people get saved. I like when all of that happens. However, God does much more behind the scenes than we ever give him credit for. And may we always find our first response is to be thankful to the God who has done so much for us. So, amen. God bless you. And I pray that you go in peace and joy and in thanksgiving. And you are dismissed.